Section 6 of Father Goriot by Honoré Balzac Translated by Ellen Marriage This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 6 How could you think that Madame de Restaud bore you a grudge for mentioning my name? He had said on the day following that scene at dinner. My daughters are very fond of me. I am a happy father, but my sons-in-law have behaved badly to me and rather than make trouble between my darlings and their husbands i choose to see my daughters secretly fathers who can't see their daughters at any time have no idea of all the pleasure that all this mystery gives me i cannot always see mine when i wish do you understand so when it is fine i walk on the champs d'elysees after finding out from their waiting-maids whether my daughters mean to go out I wait near the entrance. My heart beats fast when the carriages begin to come. I admire them in their dresses, and as they pass they give me a little smile, and it seems as if everything was lighted up for me by a ray of bright sunlight. I wait, for they always go back the same way, and then I see them again. The fresh air has done them good and brought color into their cheeks. All about me people say, what a beautiful woman that is, and it does my heart good to hear them. Are they not my own flesh and blood? I love the very horses that draw them. I envy the little lapdog on their knees. Their happiness is my life. Everyone loves after his own fashion, and mine does no one any harm. Why should people trouble their heads about me? I am happy in my own way. Is there any law? against going to see my girls in the evening when they are going out to a ball and what a disappointment it is when i get there too late and am told that madame has gone out once i waited until three o'clock in the morning for nassie i had not seen her for two whole days i was so pleased that it was almost too much for me please do not speak of me unless it is to say how good my daughters are to me they are always wanting to heap presents upon me but i will not have it just keep your money i tell them what should i do with it i want nothing and what am i sir after all an old carcass whose soul is always where my daughters are when you have seen madame de nucingen tell me which you like the most said the old man after a moment's pause while eugene put the last touches to his toilette the student was about to go out to walk in the garden of the Tuileries until the hour when he could venture to appear at Madame de Beauzion's drawing-room. That walk was a turning-point in Eugene's career. Several women noticed him. He looked so handsome, so young, and so well-dressed. This almost admiring attention gave a new turn to his thoughts. He forgot his sisters and the aunt who had robbed herself for him. He no longer remembered his own virtuous scruples. He had seen hovering above his head the fiend so easy to mistake for an angel, the devil with rainbow wings, who scatters rubies and aims his golden shafts at palace fronts, who invests women with purple and thrones with the glory that dazzles the eyes of fools till they forget the simple origins of royal dominion he had heard the rustle of that vanity whose tinsel seems to us to be the symbol of power however cynical vautrin's words had been they had made an impression on his mind as the sordid features of the old crone who whispers a lover and gold in torrents remain engraven on a young girl's memory eugene lounged along the walks till it was nearly five o'clock then he went to madame de beauzion's and received one of the terrible blows against which young hearts are defenceless hitherto the vicomtesse had received him with the kindly urbanity the bland grace of manner that is the result of fine breeding but is only complete when it comes from the heart to-day madame de beauzion bowed constrainedly and spoke curtly monsieur de rastignac i cannot possibly see you at least not at this moment i am engaged an observer and rastignac instantly became an observer could read the whole history the character and 
customs of caste, in the phrase, in the tones of her voice, in her glance and bearing. He caught a glimpse of the iron hand beneath the velvet glove, the personality, the egoism beneath the manner, the wood beneath the varnish. In short, he heard that unmistakable I the king that issues from the plumed canopy of the throne and finds its last echo under the crest of the simplest gentleman. Eugene had trusted too implicitly in the generosity of a woman. He could not believe in her haughtiness. Like all the unfortunate, he had subscribed in all good faith the generous compact that should bind the benefactor to the recipient, and the first article in that bond between two large-hearted natures is a perfect equality. The kindness which knits two souls together is as rare as divine, and as little understood as the passion of love, for both love and kindness are the lavish generosity of noble natures. Rastignac was set upon going to the Duchess de Corigliano's ball, so he swallowed down this rebuff. Madame, he faltered out, I would not have come to trouble you about a trifling matter. Be so kind as to permit me to see you later. I can wait. Very well, come and dine with me, she said, a little confused by the harsh way in which she had spoken, for this lady was as genuinely kind-hearted as she was high-born. Eugene was touched by this sudden relenting, but nonetheless he said to himself as he went away, crawl in the dust, put up with every kind of treatment. What must the rest of the world be like when one of the kindest of women forgets all her promises of befriending me in a moment, and tosses me aside like an old shoe? So it is every one for himself. It is true that her house is not a shop, and I have put myself in the wrong by needing her help. You should cut your way through the world like a cannonball as Vautrin said. But the student's bitter thoughts were soon dissipated by the pleasure which he promised himself in this dinner with the Vicomtesse. Fate seemed to determine that the smallest accidents in his life should combine to urge him into a career which the terrible sphinx of the Maison Vauquet had described as a field of battle where you must either slay or be slain, and cheat to avoid being cheated. You leave your conscience and your heart at the barriers, and wear a mask on entering into this game of grim earnest, where, as in ancient Sparta, you must snatch your prize without being detected if you would deserve the crown. On his return he found the Vicomtesse gracious and kindly, as she had always been to him. They went together to the dining-room, where the Vicomte was waiting for his wife. In the time of the restoration, the luxury of the table was carried, as is well known, to the highest degree, and Monsieur de Beauzion, like many jaded men of the world, had few pleasures left but those of good cheer. In this matter, in fact, he was a gourmand of the school of Louis the Eighteenth and of the Duc d'Escars, and luxury was supplemented by splendor. Eugene, dining for the first time in a house where the traditions of grandeur had descended through many generations, had never seen any spectacle like this that now met his eyes. In the time of the empire, balls had always ended with a supper, because the officers who took part in them must be fortified for immediate service, and even in Paris might be called upon to leave the ballroom for the battlefield. This arrangement had gone out of fashion under the monarchy, and Eugene had so far only been asked to dances. The self-possession which preeminently distinguished him in later life already stood him in good stead, and he did not betray his amazement. Yet, as he saw for the first time the finely wrought silver plate, the completeness of every detail, the sumptuous dinner, noiselessly served, it was difficult for such an ardent imagination not to prefer this life of studied and refined luxury to the hardships of the life which he had chosen only that morning. His thoughts went back for a moment to the lodging-house, and with a feeling of profound loathing he vowed to himself that at New Year he would go. 
prompted at least as much by a desire to live among cleaner surroundings as by a wish to shake off a vautrin whose huge hand he seemed to feel on his shoulder at that moment when you consider the numberless forms clamorous or mute that corruption takes in paris common sense begins to wonder what mental aberration prompted the state to establish great colleges and schools there and assemble young men in the capital how it is that pretty women are respected or that the gold coin displayed in the money-changers wooden saucers does not take to itself wings in the twinkling of an eye and when you come to think further how comparatively few cases of crime there are and to count up the misdemeanors committed by youth is there not a certain amount of respect due to these patient tantalousies who wrestle with themselves and nearly always come off victorious the struggles of the poor student in paris if skilfully drawn would furnish a most dramatic picture of modern civilization in vain madame de beauseant looked at eugene as if asking him to speak the student was tongue-tied in the vicomte's presence are you going to take me to the italians this evening the vicomtesse asked her husband you cannot doubt that i should obey you with pleasure he answered and there was a sarcastic tinge in his politeness which eugene did not detect but i ought to go to meet some one at the varietes his mistress said she to herself then is not adjuda coming for you this evening inquired the vicomte no she answered petulantly very well then if you really must have an arm take that of monsieur de rastignac the vicomtesse turned to eugene with a smile that would be a very compromising step for you she said a frenchman loves danger because in danger there is glory to quote monsieur de chateaubriand said rastignac with a bow a few moments later he was sitting beside madame de beauseant in a brougham that wheeled them through the streets of paris to a fashionable theatre it seemed to him that some fairy music had suddenly transported him into a box facing the stage all the lorgnettes of the house were pointed at him as he entered and at the vicomtesse in her charming toilette he went from enchantment to enchantment you must talk to me you know said madame de beauseant ah look there is madame de nucingen in the third box from ours her sister and monsieur de Trey are on the other side the vicomtesse glanced as she spoke at the box where mademoiselle de rochefide should have been monsieur d'ajuda was not there and madame de beauseant's face lighted up in a marvellous way she is charming said eugene after looking at madame de nucingen she has white eyelashes yes but she has such a pretty slender figure her hands are large such beautiful eyes her face is long yes but length gives distinction it is lucky for her that she has some distinction in her face just see how she fidgets with her opera glass the goriot blood shows itself in every movement said the vicomtesse much to eugene's astonishment indeed madame de beauseant seemed to be engaged in making a survey of the house and to be unconscious of madame nucingen's existence but no movement made by the latter was lost upon the vicomtesse the house was full of the loveliest women in paris so that delphine de nucingen was not a little flattered to receive the undivided attention of madame de beauseant's young handsome and well-dressed cousin who seemed to have no eyes for anyone else if you look at her so persistently you will make people talk monsieur de rastignac you will never succeed if you fling yourself at anyone's head like that my dear cousin said eugene you have protected me indeed so far and now if you would complete your work i only ask of you a favour which will cost you but little and be of very great service to me i have lost my heart already yes and to what woman how could i aspire to find any one else to listen to me he asked with a keen glance at his cousin her grace the duchesse de carigliano is a friend of the duchesse de berry he went on after a pause you are sure to see her will you be so kind as to present me to her 
and to take me to her ball on monday i shall meet madame de nucingen there and enter into my first skirmish willingly she said if you have a liking for her already your affairs of the heart are like to prosper that is de marsay over there in the princess galathion's box madame de nucingen is racked with jealousy there is no better time for approaching a woman especially if she happens to be a banker's wife all those ladies of the chaussee d'antin love revenge then what would you do yourself in such a case i should suffer in silence at this point the marquis d'ajuda appeared in mademoiselle de beauseant's box i have made a muddle of my affairs to come to you he said and i am telling you about it so that it may not be a sacrifice eugene saw the glow of joy in the vicomtesse's face and knew that this was love and learned the difference between love and the affectations of parisian coquetry he admired his cousin grew mute and yielded his place to monsieur d'ajuda with a sigh how noble how sublime a woman is when she loves like that he said to himself and he could forsake her for a doll oh how could any one forsake her there was a boy's passionate indignation in his heart he could have flung himself at madame de beauseant's feet he longed for the power of the devil if he could snatch her away and hide her in his heart as an eagle snatches up some white yearling from the plains and bears it to its eyrie it was humiliating to him to think that in all this gallery of fair pictures he had not one picture of his own to have a mistress and an almost royal position is a sign of power he said to himself and he looked at madame de nucingen as a man measures another who has insulted him the vicomtesse turned to him and the expression of her eyes thanked him a thousand times for his discretion the first act came to an end just then do you know madame de nucingen well enough to present monsieur de rastignac to her he asked of the marquis d'ajuda she will be delighted said the marquis the handsome portuguese rose as he spoke and took the student's arm and in another moment eugene found himself in madame de nucingen's box madame said the marquis i have the honour of presenting to you the chevalier eugene de rastignac he is a cousin of madame de beauseant's you have made so deep an impression upon him that i thought i would fill up the measure of his happiness by bringing him nearer to his divinity words spoken half jestingly to cover their somewhat disrespectful import but such an implication if carefully disguised never gives offence to a woman madame de nucingen smiled and offered eugene the place which her husband had just left i do not venture to suggest that you should stay with me monsieur she said those who are so fortunate to be in madame de beauseant's company do not desire to leave it madame eugene said lowering his voice i think that to please my cousin i should remain with you before my lord marquis came we were speaking of you and of your exceedingly distinguished appearance he added aloud monsieur d'ajuda turned and left them are you really going to stay with me monsieur asked the baroness then we shall make each other's acquaintance madame de rostaud told me about you and has made me anxious to meet you she must be very insincere then for she has shut her door on me what madame i will tell you honestly the reason why but i must crave your indulgence before confiding such a secret to you i am your father's neighbour i had no idea that madame de rostaud was his daughter i was rash enough to mention his name i meant no harm but i annoyed your sister and her husband very much you cannot think how severely the duchesse de longier and my cousin blamed this apostasy on a daughter's part as a piece of bad taste i told them all about it and they both burst out laughing then madame de beauseant made some comparison between you and your sister speaking in high terms of you and saying how very fond you were of my neighbour monsieur goriot 
and indeed how could you help loving him he adores you so passionately that i am jealous already we talked about you this morning for two hours so this evening i was quite full of all that your father had told me and while i was dining with my cousin i said that you could not be as beautiful as affectionate madame de beauseant meant to gratify such warm admiration i think when she brought me here telling me in her gracious way that i should see you then even now i owe you a debt of gratitude monsieur said the banker's wife we shall be quite old friends in a little while although a friendship with you could not be like an ordinary friendship said rastignac i should never wish to be your friend such stereotyped phrases as these in the mouths of beginners possess an unfailing charm for women and are insipid only when read coldly for a young man's tone glance and attitude give a surpassing eloquence to the banal phrases madame de nucingen thought that rastignac was adorable then woman-like being at a loss how to reply to the student's outspoken admiration she answered a previous remark yes it is very wrong of my sister to treat our poor father as she does she said he has been a providence to us it was not until m de nucingen positively ordered me only to receive him in the mornings that i yielded the point but i have been unhappy about it for a long while i have shed many tears over it this violence to my feelings with my husband's brutal treatment have been two causes of my unhappy married life there is certainly no woman in paris whose lot seems more enviable than mine and yet in reality there is not one so much to be pitied you will think i must be out of my senses to talk to you like this but you know my father and i cannot regard you as a stranger you will find no one said eugene who longs as eagerly as i do to be yours what do all women seek happiness he answered his own question in low vibrating tones and if happiness for a woman means that she is to be loved and adored to have a friend to whom she can pour out her wishes her fancies her sorrows and joys to whom she can lay bare her heart and soul and all her fair defects and her gracious virtues without fear of a betrayal believe me the devotion and the warmth that never fails can only be found in the heart of a young man who at a bare sign from you would go to his death who neither knows nor cares to know anything as yet of the world because you will be all the world to him i myself you see you will laugh at my simplicity have just come from a remote country district i am quite new to this world of paris i have only known true and loving hearts and i made up my mind that here i should find no love then i chanced to meet my cousin and to see my cousin's heart from very near i have divined the inexhaustible treasures of passion and like cherubino i am the lover of all women until the day comes when i find the woman to whom i may devote myself as soon as i saw you as soon as i came into the theatre this evening i felt myself borne towards you as if by the current of a stream i had so often thought of you already but i had never dreamed that you would be so beautiful madame de beauseant told me that i must not look so much at you she does not know the charm of your red lips your fair face nor see how soft your eyes are i also am beginning to talk nonsense but let me talk nothing pleases a woman better than to listen to such whispered words as these the most puritanical among them listens even though she ought not to reply to them and rastignac having once begun continued to pour out his story dropping his voice that she might lean and listen and madame de nucingen smiling glanced from time to time at de marsay who still sat in the princess galathion's box rastignac did not leave madame de nucingen till her husband came to take her home madame eugene said i shall have the pleasure of calling upon you before the duchesse de caragliano's ball if madame invites you to come said the baron a thick-set 
alsatian with indications of a sinister cunning in his full moon countenance you are quite sure of being well received my affairs seem to be in a promising way said eugene to himself can you love me i asked her and she did not resent it the bit is in the horse's mouth and i have only to mount and ride and with that he went to pay his respects to madame de beauseant who was leaving the theatre on the adjutant's arm the student did not know that the baroness's thoughts had been wandering that she was even then expecting a letter from de marsay one of those letters that bring about a rupture that rends the soul so happy in his delusion eugene went with the vicomtesse to the peristyle where people were waiting till their carriages were announced that cousin of yours is hardly recognizable for the same man said the portuguese laughingly to the vicomtesse when eugene had taken leave of them he will break the bank he is as supple as an eel he will go a long way of that i am sure who else could have picked out a woman for him as you did just when she needed consolation but it is not certain that she does not still love the fatherless lover said madame de beauseant the student meanwhile walked back from the theatre italien to the rue neuve saint genevieve making the most delightful plans as he went he had noticed how closely madame de rostaud had scrutinized him when he sat beside madame de nucingen and inferred that the countess's doors would not be closed in the future four important houses were now open to him for he meant to stand well with the Maréchal. he had four supporters in the inmost circle of society in paris even now it was clear to him that once involved in this intricate social machinery he must attach himself to a spoke of the wheel that was to turn and raise his fortunes he would not examine himself too curiously as to the methods but he was certain of the end and conscious of the power to gain and keep his hold if madame de nucingen takes an interest in me i will teach her how to manage her husband that husband of hers is a great speculator he might put me in the way of making a fortune by a single stroke he did not say this bluntly in so many words as yet indeed he was not sufficient of a diplomatist to sum up a situation to see its possibilities at a glance and calculate the chances in his favour these were nothing but hazy ideas that floated over his mental horizon they were less cynical than vautrin's notions but if they had been tried in the crucible of a conscience no very pure result would have issued from the test it is by a succession of such like transactions that men sink at last to the level of the relaxed morality of this epoch when they have never been so few of those who square their courses with their theories so few of those noble characters who do not yield to temptation for whom the slightest deviation from the line of rectitude is a crime to these magnificent types of uncompromising right we owe two masterpieces the alceste of moliere and in our own day the characters of genie dans and her father in sir walter scott's novel perhaps a work which should chronicle the opposite course which should trace out all the devious courses through which a man of the world a man of ambitions drags his conscience just steering clear of crime that he may gain his end and yet save appearances such a chronicle would be no less edifying and no less dramatic rastignac went home he was fascinated by madame de nucingen he seemed to see her before him slender and graceful as a swallow he recalled the intoxicating sweetness of her eyes her fair hair the delicate silken tissue of the skin beneath which it almost seemed to him that he could see the blood coursing the tones of her voice still exerted a spell over him he had forgotten nothing his walk perhaps heated his imagination by sending a glow of warmth through his veins he knocked unceremoniously at goriot's door 
i have seen madame delphine neighbor said he where at the italiens did she enjoy it just come inside and the old man left his bed unlocked the door and promptly returned again it was the first time that eugene had been in father goriot's room and he could not control his feeling of amazement at the contrast between the den in which the father lived and the costume of the daughter whom he had just beheld the window was curtainless the walls were damp in places the varnished wallpaper had come away and gave glimpses of a grimy yellow plaster beneath the wretched bed on which the old man lay boasted but one thin blanket and a wadded quilt made out of large pieces of madame vauquet's old dresses the floor was damp and gritty opposite the window stood a chest of drawers made of rosewood one of the old-fashioned kind with a curving front and brass handles shaped like rings of twisted vine stems covered with flowers and leaves on a venerable piece of furniture with a wooden shelf stood a ewer and basin and shaving apparatus a pair of shoes stood in one corner a night-table by the bed had neither a door nor marble slab there was not a trace of a fire in the empty grate the square walnut table with the crossbar against which father goriot had crushed and twisted his posset dish stood near the hearth the old man's hat was lying on a broken-down bureau an armchair stuffed with straw and a couple of chairs completed the list of ramshackle furniture from the tester of the bed tied to the ceiling by a piece of rag hung a strip of some cheap material in large red and black checks no poor drudge in a garret could be worse lodged than father goriot in madame vauquet's lodging-house the mere sight of the room sent a chill through you and a sense of oppression it was like the worst cell in a prison luckily goriot could not see the effect that his surroundings produced on eugene as the latter deposited his candle on the night-table the old man turned round keeping the bedclothes huddled up to his chin well he said and which do you like the best madame de rostaud or madame de nucigen i like madame delphine the best said the law student because she loves you the best at the word so heartily spoken the old man's hand slipped out from under the bedclothes and grasped eugene's thank you thank you he said gratefully then what did she say about me the student repeated the baroness's remarks with some embellishments of his own the old man listening the while as though he heard a voice from heaven dear child he said yes yes she is very fond of me but you must not believe all that she tells you about anastasie the two sisters are jealous of each other you see another proof of their affection madame de rostaud is very fond of me too i know she is a father sees his children as god sees all of us he looks into the very depths of their hearts he knows their intentions and both of them are so loving oh if only i had good sons-in-law i should be so happy and i dare say there is no perfect happiness here below if i might live with them simply hear their voices know that they are there see them come and go as i used to do at home when they were still with me why my heart bounds at the thought were they nicely dressed yes said eugene but monsieur goriot how is it that your daughters have such fine houses while you live in such a den as this dear me why should i want anything better he replied with seeming carelessness i can't quite explain to you how it is i am not used to stringing words together properly but it all lies there he said tapping his heart my real life is in my two girls you see and so long as they are happy and smartly dressed and have soft carpets under their feet what does it matter what clothes i wear or where i lie down of a night i shall never feel cold so long as they are warm i shall never feel dull if they are laughing i have no troubles but theirs when you too are a father and you hear your children's little voices you will say to yourself 
that has all come from me you will feel that those little ones are akin to every drop in your veins that they are the very flower of your life and what else are they you will cleave so closely to them that you will seem to feel every movement that they make everywhere i hear their voices sounding in my ears if they are sad the look in their eyes freezes my blood some day you will find out that there is far more happiness in another's happiness than in your own it is something that i cannot explain something within that sends a glow of warmth all through you in short i live my life three times over shall i tell you something funny well then since i have been a father i have come to understand god he is everywhere in the world because the whole world comes from him and it is just the same with my children monsieur only i love my daughters better than god loves the world for the world is not so beautiful as god himself is but my children are more beautiful than i am their lives are so bound up with mine that i felt somehow that you would see them this evening great heaven if any man would make my little delphine as happy as a wife is when she is loved i would black his boots and run on his errands that miserable monsieur de marsay is a cur i know all about him from her maid a longing to wring his neck comes over me now and then he does not love her he does not love a pearl of a woman with a voice like a nightingale and shaped like a model where can her eyes have been when she married that great lump of an alsatian they ought both of them to have married young men good-looking and good-tempered but after all they had their own way father goriot was sublime eugene had never yet seen his face light up as it did now with the passionate fervor of a father's love it is worthy of remark that strong feeling has a very subtle and pervasive power the roughest nature in the endeavor to express a deep and sincere affection communicates to others the influence that has put resonance into the voice and eloquence into every gesture wrought a change in the very features of the speaker for under inspiration of passion the stupidest human being attains to the highest eloquence of ideas if not of language and seems to move in some sphere of light in the old man's tones and gestures there was something just then of the same spell that a great actor exerts over his audience but does not the poet in us find expression in our affections well said eugene perhaps you will not be sorry to hear that she is pretty sure to break with de marsay before long that sprig of fashion has left her for the princess galathion for my part i fell in love with madame delphine this evening stuff said father goriot i did indeed and she did not regard me with aversion for a whole hour we talked of love and i am to go call on her on saturday the day after to-morrow oh how i should love you if she should like you you are kind-hearted you would never make her miserable if you were to forsake her i would cut your throat at once a woman does not love twice you see good heavens what nonsense i am talking monsieur eugene it is cold you ought not to stay here mon dieu so you have heard her speak what message did she give you for me none at all said eugene to himself aloud he answered she told me to tell you that your daughter sends you a good kiss good night neighbor sleep well and pleasant dreams to you i have mine already made for me by that message from her may god grant you all your desires you have come in like a good angel on me to-night and brought with you the air that my daughter breathes poor old fellow said eugene as he lay down it is enough to melt a heart of stone his daughter no more thought of him than of the grand turk even after this conference goriot looked upon his neighbor as a friend a confidant such as he had never hoped to find and there was established between the two the only relationship that could attach this old man to another man the passions never miscalculate father goriot felt that his friendship brought him closer to his daughter delphine he thought that 
he should find a woman welcome for himself if the baroness should care for eugene moreover he had confided one of his troubles to the younger man madame de nucingen for whose happiness he prayed a thousand times daily had never known the joys of love eugene was certainly to make use of his own expression one of the nicest young men that he had ever seen and some prophetic instinct seemed to tell him that eugene was to give her the happiness which had not been hers these were the beginnings of a friendship that grew up between the old man and his neighbor but for this friendship the catastrophe of the drama must have remained a mystery the affection with which father goriot regarded eugene by whom he seated himself at breakfast the change in goriot's face which as a rule looked as expressionless as a plaster cast and a few words that passed between the two surprised the other lodgers vautrin who saw eugene for the first time since their interview seemed as if he would fain read the student's very soul during the night eugene had had some time in which to scan the vast field which lay before him and now as he remembered yesterday's proposal the thought of mademoiselle taliffet's diary came of course to his mind and he could not help thinking of victorine as the most exemplary youth may think of an heiress it chanced that their eyes met the poor girl did not fail to see that eugene looked very handsome in his new clothes so much was said in the glance thus exchanged that eugene could not doubt but that he was associated in her mind with the vague hopes that lie dormant in a girl's heart and gather round the first attractive newcomer eight hundred thousand francs a voice cried in his ears but suddenly he took refuge in the memories of yesterday evening thinking that his extemporized passion for madame de nucingen was a talisman that would preserve him from his temptation they gave rossini's barber of seville at the italiens yesterday evening he remarked i never heard such delicious music good gracious how lucky people are to have a box at the italiens father goriot drank in every word that eugene let fall and watched him as a dog watches his master's slightest movement you men are like fighting cocks said madame vauquet you do what you like how do you get back inquired vautrin i walked answered eugene for my own part remarked the tempter i do not care about doing things by halves if i want to enjoy myself that way i should prefer to go in my carriage sit in my own box and do the thing comfortably everything or nothing that is my motto and a good one too commented madame vauquet perhaps you will see madame de nucingen to-day said eugene addressing goriot in an undertone she will welcome you with open arms i am sure she would want to ask you for all sorts of little details about me i have found out that she will do anything in the world to be known by my cousin madame de beauseant don't forget to tell her that i love her too well not to think of trying to arrange this rastignac went at once to the ecole de droit he had no mind to stay a moment longer than was necessary in that odious house he wasted his time that day he had fallen a victim to that fever of the brain that accompanies the too vivid hopes of youth vautrin's arguments had set him meditating on social life and he was deep in these reflections when he happened on his friend Biancon in the jardin de luxembourg what makes you look so solemn said the medical student putting an arm through eugene's as they went towards the palais i am tormented by temptations what kind there is a cure for temptation what yielding to it you laugh but you don't know what it is all about have you read rousseau yes do you remember that he asks the reader somewhere what he would do if he could make a fortune by killing an old mandarin somewhere in china by mere force of wishing it and without stirring from paris yes well then pshaw i am at my thirty-third mandarin seriously though 
look here suppose you were sure that you could do it and had only to give a nod would you do it is he well stricken in years this mandarin of yours pshaw after all young or old paralytic or well and sound my word for it well then hang it no you are a good fellow bianchon but suppose you loved a woman well enough to lose your soul in hell for her and that she wanted money for dresses and a carriage and all her whims in fact why here you are taking away my reason and want me to reason well then bianchon i am mad bring me to my senses i have two sisters as beautiful and innocent as angels and i want them to be happy how am i to find two hundred thousand francs apiece for them in the next five years now and then in life you see you must play for heavy stakes and it is no use wasting your luck on low play but you are only stating the problem that lies before every one at the outset of his life and you want to cut the gordian knot with a sword if that is the way of it dear boy you must be an alexander or to the hulks you go for my own part i am quite contented with the little lot i mean to make for myself somewhere in the country when i mean to step into my father's shoes and plod along a man's affections are just as fully satisfied by the smallest circle as they can be by a vast circumference napoleon himself could only dine once and he could not have more mistresses than a house student at the capuchins happiness old man depends on what lies between the sole of your foot and the crown of your head and whether it costs a million or a hundred louis the actual amount of pleasure that you receive rests entirely with you and is just exactly the same in any case i am for letting that chinaman live thank you bianchon you have done me good we will always be friends i say remarked the medical student as they came to the end of a broad walk in the jardin des plans i saw the michonneau and poiret a few minutes ago on a bench chatting with a gentleman whom i used to see in last year's troubles hanging about the chamber of deputies he seems to me in fact to be a detective dressed up like a decent retired tradesman let us keep an eye on that couple i will tell you why some time good-bye it is nearly four o'clock and i must be in to answer to my name when eugene reached the lodging-house he found father goriot waiting for him here cried the old man here is a letter from her pretty handwriting eh eugene broke the seal and read sir i have heard from my father that you are fond of italian music i shall be delighted if you will do me the pleasure of accepting a seat in my box la fador and pellegrini will sing on saturday so i am sure that you will not refuse me monsieur de nucingen and i shall be pleased if you will dine with us we shall be quite by ourselves if you will come and be my escort my husband will be glad to be relieved from his conjugal duties do not answer but simply come yours sincerely madame de nucingen let me see it said father goriot when eugene had read the letter you are going aren't you he added when he had smelled the writing-paper how nice she smells her fingers have touched it that is certain a woman does not fling herself at a man's head in this way the student was thinking she wants to use me to bring back de marsay nothing but pique makes a woman do a thing like this well said father goriot what are you thinking about eugene did not know the fever or vanity that possessed some women in those days how should he imagine that to open a door in the faubourg saint germain a banker's wife would go to almost any length for the coterie of the faubourg saint germain was a charmed circle and the women who moved in it were at that time the queens of society and among the greatest of these dames de petit chateau as they were called were madame de beauseant and her friends the duchesse de longier the duchesse de maufrenose rastignac was alone in his ignorance of the frantic efforts made by women who lived in the chaussee d'antin 
to enter this seventh heaven and shine among the brightest constellations of their sex but his cautious disposition stood him in good stead and kept his judgment cool and the not altogether enviable power of imposing instead of accepting conditions yes i am going he replied so it was curiosity that drove him to madame de nucingen while if she had treated him disdainfully passion perhaps might have brought him to her feet still he waited almost impatiently for to-morrow and the hour when he could go to her there is almost as much charm for a young man in a first flirtation as there is in first love the certainty of success is a source of happiness to which men do not confess and all the charm of certain women lies in this the desire of conquest springs no less from the easiness than from the difficulty of triumph and every passion is excited or sustained by one or the other of these two motives which divide the empire of love perhaps this division is one result of the great question of temperaments which after all dominates social life the melancholic temperament may stand in need of the tonic of coquetry while those of nervous or sanguine complexion withdraw if they meet with too stubborn resistance in other words the lymphatic temperament is essentially despondent and the rhapsodic is bilious eugene lingered over his toilette with an enjoyment of all its little details that is grateful to a young man's self-love though he will not own to it for fear of being laughed at he thought as he arranged his hair that a pretty woman's glances would wander through the dark curls he indulged in childish tricks like any young girl dressing for a dance and gazed complacently at his graceful figure while he smoothed out the creases of his coat there are worse figures that is certain he said to himself then he went downstairs just as the rest of the household was sitting down to dinner and took with good humour the boisterous applause excited by his elegant appearance the amazement with which any attention to dress is regarded in a lodging-house is a very characteristic trait no one can put on a new coat but every one else must say his say about it cried bianchon making the sound with his tongue against the roof of his mouth like a driver urging on a horse he holds himself like a duke and a peer of france said madame vauquet are you going a-courting inquired mademoiselle michonneau cock-a-doodle-doo cried the artist my compliments to my lady your wife from the employee at the museum your wife have you a wife asked poiret yes in compartments watertight and floats guaranteed fast colour all prices from twenty-five to forty sous neat check patterns the latest fashion and best taste will wash half linen half cotton half wool a certain cure for toothache and other complaints under the patronage of the royal college of physicians children like it a remedy for headache indigestion and all other diseases affecting the throat eyes and ears cried vautrin with a comical imitation of the volubility of a quack at a fair and how much shall we say for this marvel gentlemen two pence no nothing of the sort all that is left in stock after supplying the great mogul all the crowned heads of europe including the grand duke of baden have been anxious to get a sight of it walk up walk up gentlemen pay at the desk as you go in strike up the music there broom la la trin la la boom boom mr clarinet there you are out of tune he added gruffly i will rap your knuckles for you goodness what an amusing man said madame vauquet to madame couture i should never feel dull with him in the house the burlesque of vautrin's was the signal for an outburst of merriment and under cover of jokes and laughter eugene caught a glance from mademoiselle Talifay. she had leaned over to say a few words in madame couture's ears the cab is at the door announced sylvie but where is he going to dine asked bianchon 
with Madame la Baronne de Nucigen. Monsieur Goriot's daughter, said the law student. At this, all eyes turned to the old vermicelli maker. He was gazing at Eugene with something like envy in his eyes. Rastignac reached the house in Rue Saint-Lazare, one of those many windowed houses with a mean-looking portico and slender columns, which are considered the thing in Paris, a typical banker's house, decorated in the most ostentatious fashion, the walls lined with stucco, the landings of marble mosaic. Madame de Nucigen was sitting in a little drawing-room. The room was painted in the Italian fashion and decorated like a restaurant. The Baroness seemed depressed. The effort that she made to hide her feelings aroused Eugene's interest. It was plain that she was not playing a part. He had expected a little flutter of excitement at his coming, and he found her dispirited and sad. The disappointment piqued his vanity. "'My claim to your confidence is very small, madame,' he said, after rallying her on her abstracted mood. "'But if I am in the way, please tell me so frankly. I count on your good faith. No, stay with me,' she said. "'I shall be all alone if you go.' Nucigen is dining in town, and I do not want to be alone. I want to be taken out of myself. But what is the matter? You are the very last person whom I should tell, she exclaimed, that I am connected in some way in this secret. I wonder what it is. Perhaps, yet no, she went on, it is a domestic quarrel which ought to be buried in the depths of the heart. I am very unhappy. Did I not tell you so the day before yesterday? golden chains are the heaviest of all fetters. When a woman tells a young man that she is very unhappy, and when the young man is clever and well-dressed, and has fifteen hundred francs lying idle in his pocket, he is sure to think, as Eugene said, and he becomes a coxcomb. What can you have left to wish for, he answered. You are young, beautiful, beloved, and rich. Do not let us talk of my affairs she said shaking her head mournfully we will dine together tete-a-tete and afterwards we will go to hear the most exquisite music am i to your taste she went on rising and displaying her gown of white cashmere covered with persian designs in the most superb taste i wish that you were altogether mine said eugene you are charming you would have a forlorn piece of property she said smiling bitterly there is nothing about me that betrays my wretchedness and yet in spite of appearances i am in despair i cannot sleep my troubles have broken my night's rest i shall grow ugly oh that is impossible cried the law student but i am curious to know what these troubles can be that a devoted love cannot efface ah if i were to tell you about them you would shun me she said your love for me is as yet only the conventional gallantry that men use to masquerade in and if you really loved me you would be driven to despair i must keep silence you see let us talk of something else for pity's sake she added let me show you my rooms no let us stay here answered eugene he sat down on the sofa before the fire and boldly took madame de nucigen's hand in his she surrendered it to him he even felt the pressure of her fingers in one of the spasmodic clutches that betray terrible agitation listen said rastignac if you are in trouble you ought to tell me about it i want to prove to you that i love you for yourself alone you must speak to me frankly about your troubles so that i can put an end to them even if i have to kill half a dozen men or I shall go, never to return. Very well, she cried, putting her hand to her forehead in an agony of despair. I will put you to the proof, and this very moment, yes, she said to herself, I have no other resource left. She rang the bell. Are the horses put in for the master? she asked of the servant. Yes, madame. I shall take his carriage myself. He can have mine and my horses serve dinner at seven o'clock now come with me she said to eugene who thought as he sat in the banker's carriage 
beside madame de nucingen that he must surely be dreaming to the palais royal she said to the coachman stop near the theatre francais she seemed to be too troubled and excited to answer the innumerable questions that eugene put to her he was at a loss what to think of her mute resistance her obstinate silence another moment and she will escape me he said to himself when the carriage stopped at last the baroness gave the law student a glance that silenced his wild words for he was almost beside himself is it true that you love me she asked yes he answered and in this manner and tone there was no trace of the uneasiness that he felt you will not think ill of me will you whatever i may ask of you no are you ready to do my bidding blindly have you ever been to a gaming-house she asked in a tremulous voice never ah now i can breathe you will have luck here is my purse she said take it there are a hundred francs in it all that such a fortunate woman as i can call her own go up into one of the gaming-houses i do not know where they are but there are some near the palais royal try your luck with the hundred francs at a game they call roulette lose it all or bring me back six thousand francs i will tell you about my troubles when you come back end of section six